Knock, knock. Who's there? season finale this one's kind of special because while we've talked about it all so fucking much we really get to crack into a very special egg this evening while we've talked about a lot of people having maybe rock and roll personas or being the quote-unquote first rock and roll song or whatever it may be there is no question this man was really rock and roll he doesn't need to have any accolades beyond that because just by name recognition alone he is uh, a large portion of the genre that we come to love. I'm Pat. I'm in. Thank you for checking out, dude. Check out this song. And today we're covering Little Richard. Oh, Yo! yeah. I was going to try and do that, but I don't think my throat was going to do that. It was going <laughs> to all screechy and weird. I had one shot at it, and that was it, so I hope it's good. And so Little Richard was born Richard Wayne Penniman. Oh, um, that's a good last name. <laughs> On December 5th, 1932 in Macon, Georgia. Now, some sources say 1935, but 1932 is what we're going to go with. Yeah, so there's some question of even his birthday. I saw a little bit of questioning, but everything I looked at pretty much just said this was his birthday. So we're just going to go with it. Yeah, we're going to lay enough in history to where you guys really have no excuse for still having questions about that. Get your shit together. Yeah, come on, historians. If you're born in the 30s, you, you should have records. Now, he was born the third of 12 children, and he was the only child in that family to be born with a physical defect. Which was? His right leg was shorter than his left. <laughs> <laughs> well, that kind of sucks. I mean, my I think my legs are slightly off-center, but I think everybody's kind of are. Yeah, maybe to a certain point, but if yeah. they mention it, it's got to be noticeable. Yeah, it's probably like a disability level. Now... From early in his childhood, he was marked as different by his effeminacy. And as he would explain to Rolling Stone, which I'll probably quote quite a bit this episode. The boys want to fight me because I didn't like to be with them. I wanted to play with the girls. See, I felt like a girl. Yeah. So in hopes of curing his physical ailment and curbing his behavior, Richard's mother would enroll him in a Baptist church in Macon, Georgia. Oh, great, yeah, because the Lord's going to help. What Jesus the is going to help with all that. Come oh on now. Oh, my God. What the fuck? This is the Yeah. <laughs> I can already see that this childhood's going to be nice and normal. <laughs> Nothing weird and creepy. Well, at the age of 10, he started a gospel group called the Tiny Tots Quartet. Oh, that's cool. And this would actually give him the desire to be a professional gospel singer, like his heroes... Brother Joe May, the Thunderbolt of the Midwest. Oh, that's a fucking badass nickname. <laughs> Sister Rosetta Tharp, maybe you've heard of her. I, I don't know. I think I've heard of her once or twice. And Mahalia Jackson. And so between these three, everybody would kind of say one of them was his favorite. So I just went with all three because you know what? 
In his career, I'm sure he mentioned all three at some point. No so. musician just has one favorite, guys. That's no, not a no thing. Way. <laughs> that does, that's not a thing. I think I'm up to like 3,000 by yeah. now. <laughs> I've got more favorites than I have music I don't like. So what do you guys got? Now, by the time Richard was in junior high, he had learned to play piano and saxophone and kind of developed a reputation in his church for his strong, high-registered vocals. Well, I mean, that's one thing. That's a way to describe his voice. Well, especially since, you know, he's in junior high. I'm sure it was higher than two. Oh, I, I can only imagine. And, and, you know, he's got a really strong singing voice. It's not like some of the higher range people where they, where it comes out, you know, wispy or kind of, you know, almost like a flute. He's got strength Oh, he's got it. pipes. Yeah. Well, and because of his singing style, his siblings would end up nicknaming him Warhawk. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Everybody's got cool-ass nicknames. Thunderbolt Bolt, and Warhawk. These sound like Avengers, not, <laughs> not musicians. <laughs> yeah, well, how cool would it have been if he went by a stage name Warhawk instead of Little Richard? <laughs> it would have been a whole different history we'd be talking about right now. And although he would end up attending the New Hope Baptist Church in Macon, where his mother was a member, he preferred the Pentecostal churches because of the music and the excitement he and his friends experienced during the holy dance and speaking in tongues with members of the congregation. And sometimes people would even testify to Richard's gift of healing when they let him sing. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, it, there's always something like that with religion. No matter what, if you're a religious singer, somebody's like, you know, I got, I got the, my measles cured by your song or whatever. And the thing is, is throughout his whole life, religion would be a huge part of it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these musicians, especially in this era, like get their, their singing and enjoyment from church-related activities. Well, right, a lot of family. them got their start from it, too. Yep. But, like, two of his uncles and his grandfather were preachers. Oh, that probably doubled it up, too. Yeah. Especially if they all thought he was gay and were trying to, you know... Jesus the gay. Jesus the gay. Yeah, they were like, oh, well, we're going to get them all into these gospel scenes. Little did they know he was dressing up in a dress and singing songs all day. So, I mean, he probably wasn't that upset. Not yet. No, I meant meant the little, like, what you wear when you're. uh, when you sing in a gospel. Oh, yeah. Oh, the gospel gown. Yeah, the gown. It's a a dress. Whatever. I don't know. (laughs) It's a long dress. Yeah, whatever. It's a cape, Batman. I don't know. It's a cape dress. (laughs) And so when Richard was 14, he would land a part-time job with a local concert promoter selling refreshments at the Macon City Auditorium where he would see some of his favorite gospel singers play as well as R&B stars like Cab Calloway and Lucky Melinder. Lucky Melinder? Yeah, who, who we've both mentioned before. Yeah, it's just such a great name. So one time when Sister Rosetta Tharp played there, she heard Richard singing and invited him on stage to sing a few songs. Hell yeah, she did. And she would actually encourage him to pursue a career in music. Well, I mean, she was like always like that. When we covered her, there's a lot of her like uh, elevating other musicians. So it's not a surprise. Plus, he fucking rocks. And so he decided to drop out of school in the ninth grade and join a traveling medicine show. As, as yes. they all seem to do around this yes. time. <laughs> Traveling medicine show. That was that was Rosetta Tharp being like, you know how you get it? You want to be famous? Medicine show. Boom. <laughs> do we have a name of this medicine show? I wonder if it's one of the, either the ones mentioned in the uh, other episodes. I'm getting to that. 
Oh, well, sorry. He would end up in the traveling show with eccentric performer named Dr. Nobulo, where he picked up Nobulo's enthusiasm for over-the-top performances, you know, even dancing in dresses with some of the other girls. Yeah. You know, yep. Where he got to do what he wanted, essentially, or whatever, you know. Yeah, and then later that year, he'd end up going with Dr. Hudson's medicine show, and that's where he started performing the Louis Jordan hit, Cadonia. And this was basically the first time he ever sang an R&B song, which, you know, his parents thought was sinful. Oh, well, <laughs> duh. <laughs> and it was in this he would actually appear in drag under the stage name Princess Lavone. Oh, shit. So he's really stepping it up. What year is this? 1949. Okay. So this is, I mean, if we've kind of go with the timeline where we've established over the, the last few seasons, like we're right here at... 1949 this oh is yeah where we keep stopping over and over again well it's gonna go over the top here pretty shortly in 1950 he would end up landing a gig with buster brown and his orchestra where the band leader would actually give him the nickname little richard and so this is where he got it from yeah nice so this is the origin of the little richard nickname then yep and then he would be hired on with a guy named sugarloaf sam <laughs> Another menstrual show. Another badass nickname. Yep. And uh, once again, he'd wear a dress and dance with girls. Well, I mean, if the, if you as you if, do. If the shoe fits, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to. I'm going to be honest. I would wear a dress to dance with a bunch of ladies. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that big of a fucking deal. And I'm a straight dude. <laughs> I mean, I know it's him doing it for a different reason. It's a whole different time and everything. But if that's how you got to rock, you know, rock. And it was during this period where he met Billy Wright, a popular post-war black performer. And to get another Rolling Stone quote from Richard, he said, Billy was an entertainer who wore very loud colored clothing. He wore his hair curled. I thought he was the most fantastic entertainer I had ever seen. <laughs> well, this is an era where you just don't see shit like that. Right. In this era, it's really taboo. Yeah, exactly. All of the things that he's doing is just so far out of what you're supposed to be doing. And in early 1951, Little Richard would actually cut his first recording, having won a rhythm and blues talent contest at Atlanta's 81 Theater. And he would record the songs, Get Rich Quick, Why Did You Leave Me, Every Hour, and Think About My Mother. So, like, that was the prize for the talent show, is to get to record some tracks? I don't know if that was the prize, but it sure did seem like a lot of people got discovered at these talent shows. Yeah, it would make sense. for for Especially in the early 50s, I think that was a pretty uh, large way that they found talent for like professional talent scouts. Yeah, this is the era before the internet, so you pretty much had to go anywhere to find someone with some talent. Yep. Unfortunately, these records did not sell. No, of course not. And optimistically, Richard cut four more sides... Of kind of the same bluesy, jazzy, boogie-woogie kind of type material. And they failed, too. Yeah, it just wasn't what was uh, what was needed. Yeah, it was just wrong place, wrong time type of deal. Yeah, and it's it's still good stuff, like especially like the boogie-woogie piano. That's yeah. that's so close to rock and roll, and it really, it, I think just, you know, sometimes you, you, you get a false start and you have to try again. Exactly. Well, this brings me to my first do check out the song, though. And you guys really should check out Get Rich Quick because honestly, oh, like, yeah. you can kind of, especially with this song compared to some of the other stuff he did, you can really see, like... The blues the, and jazz. Yeah, and the beginnings of what his career would become. 
Yeah, and it really it shows it shows so differently than the rest of his recordings. I feel like this set is so like distinctly different than everything we get very close to in the future. And don't worry, the other songs I mentioned will be on the list too. Oh yeah. But this one is kind of the standout because it's kind of the before rock and roll, but he's almost there. Yeah. The people who didn't know it was rock and roll, but were still accidentally doing it era. And so, well, Richard would end up returning to Macon, Georgia, where he took a job washing dishes at a bus station diner and, you know, kind of start up a band called the Upstarters. And he half-heartedly sent a demo tape into Art Roop of Specialty Records in Los Angeles. And that tape would kind of bounce around specially for almost a year, during which time Richard took advantage and really developed his live act. And Art Roop, it turned out, was looking for a black singer with a Ray Charles sound. And eventually found Little Richard's tape. And after he listened to that tape, he invited the young, soon-to-be rocker to cut some songs in New Orleans. Hell yeah. And so Art Roop, signed a record contract with Richard and connected him to an A&R man, Robert Bumps Blackwell. And Blackwell... Bumps Blackwell? Bumps Blackwell, More apparently. badass nicknames. Jesus, dude. <laughs> and Blackwell would apparently nurture the early careers of Ray Charles and Quincy Jones. Oh. And so he intended Little Richard to kind of compete against, like, Ray Charles and B.B. King, you know, like, do some heavy blues type stuff. Yeah. And so, at the beginning of the taping, it was kind of the same old, like, blues-oriented songs. You know, a lot of the stuff we've talked about, you know, basically the same old stuff. Well, in a break during the recording, Little Richard would actually start jamming to a song that he wrote. A little song called Tutti Fruity. Oh, uh, I don't think anyone's ever actually heard of that song. A wop bop a loo bop a bop bam boom <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's a fairly iconic song, I guess. And Art Roop was actually captivated by this song, but he would order new lyrics as Richard's original lyrics were quite sexual for the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love this song, but you need to rewrite this stuff where you're not talking about whatever you're doing. Make it a little bit more subtle, please. And so this song would end up being released just before Christmas in 1955. And by the end of the month, it was resting at number 21 on the charts. Oh, shit. So, like, a couple weeks, it's, like, up there. a big skyrocket. Of course. And that was was his big breakout hit, then, was Tutti Frutti? Tutti Frutti was his big breakout hit. Because I always knew it was a popular song. I didn't realize it was, like, his first rock and roll, like, like jam. That's fucking cool. And to quote a broadcaster named Stuart Coleman, he said... Many white kids had never heard a black man singing with the brakes off. (laughs) But when Tutti Frutti was released, several white stations thought that the time was right and showed no hesitation in programming the disc. From that point on, there began a hit trail of some of the classiest black rock and roll records that America and the world would ever see. Oh, shit. So, like, they were just like, this rocks so much, we don't even care that he's black? Yeah. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. And that brings me to my next do check out this song, Tutti Frutti. Yeah, I mean, if you if you haven't already heard this song a hundred times, go listen to it at least a few hundred. You know, it's it's such a classic. It's, I mean, how many, like, soundtracks is it in, too? It's, like, oh, all God. over music in the 70s and 80s. And, or and the movies, amount of times it's me. been re-recorded, too. Yeah, exactly. And so following this song, 
Little Richard would kind of go on, I don't know, a hit-making craze, really. <laughs> yeah, we call that a, a successful career. <laughs> yeah. So he would record songs like Long Tall Sally, Lucille, Rip It Up, The Girl Can't Help It, Slipping and Sliding, Jenny Jenny, Good Golly Ms. Molly, and Keep It Knocking, which I mentioned on a previous episode. Oh, yeah. Long Tall Sally is so good. I That's one of my favorite songs of his. Oh, Long Tall Sally's a great song. But I think Lucille has kind of taken the place of my favorite song of his. Yeah, that, that was a super good jam. I had never heard that song before until we played it today, so... And all of these songs that I just mentioned would reach high or top the R&B charts and also cross over to the pop top 40. Oh, shit. Yeah, every single one of these songs. That's a big run. Yeah, and that's why my next dude check out this song has every single one of these songs. They're yep. all good. Yeah. Long Tall Sally, Lucille, Rip It Up, The Girl Can't Help It, Slipping and Sliding, Jenny Jenny, Good Golly Miss Molly, Keep It Knocking. Yeah, just I slam mean, them all on the playlist. Yeah. You got to listen to this stuff. And so, of course, as was the style, nobody can see my uh, quotations there. Yeah, air quotes. People started covering his songs. Yep. Duh. Tootie Fruity would end up being covered by Pat Boone, whose version would actually top higher than Little Richard's. No, that's fucked up. And then he'd go on to record a version of Long Tall Sally, but Little Richard's original performed better than that. And then Bill Haley in the comments would end up recording Rip It Up. Didn't we already talk about Bill Haley? We did. Yeah, that, he seems to be all over this covering people's song shit. <laughs> He's good at it. But again, Richard's version would prevail higher on the charts. I mean, really by this point, people realize he's the goods. Yeah, he's, he's what's up. And even Elvis Presley and the Everly Brothers would pay tribute to Little Richard covering his hits on their early albums. Oh, yeah. And to quote a writer from Rolling Stone named Jerry Hershey, he said, Little Richard was compelled to invent his particular brand of majesty. This was Little Richard, handsomest man in rock and roll. His image was an immaculate conception, a fantasy born of years traveling in medicine shows, drag queen reviews, churches, and clubs. But in 50s America... This made for a terrible mess. He was black and gay, talented and loud, and worse, much worse. Absolutely sure of himself. Oh, yeah, and successful. Now, nothing pisses uh, racist people off more than somebody like that being successful. <laughs> and that's probably our asshole spotlight right there is all those racist assholes who are like, no, we can't have this guy rocking and rolling and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he can't be black, gay, and rock. That's not. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, we're we just have like a permanent spot for all the all the bigots in the asshole spotlight. So we didn't even have to push them over there anymore. After nearly what fucking twenty something episodes of us just digging on them, I think you're all aware they're all dick bags. Ah, we'll keep mentioning it. Yeah. Fuck it. <laughs> we'll find new unique forms of dick baggery. <laughs> they always seem to pop up somehow. Yeah, and they're they're there. They live there. They were born there. And so. Even though the teens of both races love Little Richard and all of his songs seem to make the hits, in 1957, he suddenly abandoned his fame and fortune to study the Bible. Oh, well, I mean, I, I guess if that's what he wanted to do. He vowed never to sing rock and roll again. Oh, 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 that's not, that's sad. 
Some people say it was an airplane malfunction that frightened him into a conversion. And another story has it that he interpreted the Soviet launching of Sputnik as a sign that rock and roll was evil and then he should quit performing. <laughs> what? Wait, Sputnik told him, told him that rock and roll was evil? <laughs> well, you know, those evil commie bastards. I just want to say this entire sentence out loud just to clarify. This gay black rock and roll star from the 50s said that Sputnik's launching was a sign that rock and roll was evil and he needed to stop and study the Bible? That's one of the possibilities, okay, okay I of just, why he quit. I just, I just wanted to make sure that, like, I was hearing that entire concept correctly because <laughs> my brain's kind of crackling right now. Well, he also claimed that he quit, you know, because of monetary benefits, but I don't know how that can be since There's he was no at way. the top of the charts. There was no way he was making any more money anywhere else. Suddenly someone's like, oh, he saw Sputnik and he's like, you know, I should be a rocket scientist. <laughs> and so, of course, this brought an abrupt halt, like literally... He had two years of massive fame. Jesus, and then just stopped. And then just stopped. And he changed the face of music forever because of these recordings, too. Yep. He would end up attending Oakwood Theological College in Huntsville, Alabama. Oh, my goodness. Where he was reportedly ordained as a Seventh-day Adventist minister. (laughs) Well, I mean... Can't, I mean, if that's what he wanted to do, you can never, like, I, I, I don't want to judge anybody based on their life decisions. You know, if, if you have two years of fame and you want to go do that, that's cool. But, you know, from a, from a rock and roll fanboy myself and point of view, it's very, very sad to have him stop right, you know, in the middle of when he should have been making his best work. Right. Well, and he would end up recording a bunch of gospel music up until the early 60s. In 1959, he did get married to a woman named Ernestine Harvin, a secretary from Washington, D.C. I think this is the marriage his son came from, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, and I mean, you know, people can have more complex sexual orientations than just liking boys and liking girls. Like, I'm not going to try and judge anyone like that. But it's, it's weird to go from I'm black gay medicine show drag queen man to, you know, now I'm a... a christian like did jesus finally convert him like were was his parents right they just need a lot more time i think he always struggled with his sexuality throughout his entire life honestly and i i think yeah like combining it with his childhood it seems like it would it was childhood which was entirely based off of religion exactly i think it connects the two situations like that's one of the things that a lot of uh a lot of just any sort of like situation where somebody's trying to manipulate your feelings, they connect one thing to another. So therefore, if you're the the more you feel like quote unquote gay, the farther you're going to be away from God. It's, right? You know, it's it's kind of you know, it's ridiculous. It is fucking ridiculous. Like those two things do not equate. Well, and it was also around this time that he would express that rock and roll was of the devil, and that it was not possible for him to be a rocker, except for he already rocked and please God at the same time. Well, I, I think there's a large amount of Christian rock right now, isn't there? Or is Times there? change, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but about, like, 1964, he ended up going back on tour with rock and roll again. And he would end up touring England with an unknown group at the time called the Beatles. And I don't know if you've heard of the Beatles. Who? The Beatles. I mean, like the bug? 
like the book, but it's spelled a little different. There's an A in there. Oh, that's that no-name band that Bob Dylan hung out with in Europe, right? Yeah, like showed them how to smoke weed or something. Yeah, I've heard that story, right. Once again, we figured out how to bring Bob Dylan up. <laughs> <laughs> and so, supposedly, Little Richard not only taught his musical style to the Beatles, but also some of his falsetto voice stunts and riffs. Oh, like the Beatles were, like, training? Like, I could imagine them now. Like, see, this is, we were just talking about this. Since this is the same era they're hanging out with Bob Dylan. I wonder if they did that. They're like, we are going to become the greatest rockers. We must learn from all the greatest rockers. Egg, they, yeah, something they, like, like that. Like, go on a pilgrimage around. Like, first we learn from Little Richard, then Bob Dylan, then we'll move over to... <laughs> well, and, the, I mean, the Beatles were, you know, extremely influenced by early American rock and roll. Like, John Lennon, I once read years ago that a Buddy Holly performance that he attended convinced him to start playing rock and roll. Well, that's pretty awesome. And I mean, I'm not surprised. Buddy Holly is fucking amazing. I got him tattooed on me for a reason. <laughs> what? I thought that was a tattoo yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe before the beard and when I still had hair. Yeah, when you still had hair. That joke doesn't make sense now that we're not in our 20s. <laughs> <laughs> and... I guess supposedly he even had an opportunity to buy 50% of the share of the Beatles. <laughs> like Beatles Corporation? Yeah, like yeah, like 50% of whatever they make. I don't I get But <sighs> I didn't know you could sell shares of your band like that. Apparently he wasn't the greatest businessman cuz he passed on the offer. Yeah, he's like, yeah, no, you guys are not going to be famous. The yeah, the beat who's yeah, and so he was like, nah, and then returned to America to launch his own comeback. <laughs> oh. In 1964, he would actually bring in a fledgling guitarist to play with him, who would soon become world famous as Jimi Hendrix. Oh, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. So that's how Jimi Hendrix got to start was he was playing with Little Richard. Yep. That's fucking cool. I didn't know that at all. I actually didn't either before doing this research. That's really interesting. Apparently, they what year was that? 1964. Okay, that makes sense because it's within the next few years that, that Jimmy starts to just yep. really pop off. And apparently, they had kind of a contentious relationship, but Jimi Hendrix kind of saw you know a way to make it famous through Little Richard. So. Oh yeah, I could see that. So maybe that that could be a portion of the contention too. You know, sometimes especially when you're. Uh, when you're famous and want to pass on your art to somebody, it's not necessarily that you want them to be like, I see this man as a way for me to get famous. I'm well, going to use it. Like. <laughs> and it's it's not like Jimi Hendrix really used a lot of Little Richard's style either. He really developed his own. Yeah, well, and quickly. He really did. I, I would say that's one thing that Jimi Hendrix is solid for, is he developed his own style without really a lot of a build-up time. You know what I mean? His early career is almost very close to what his best stuff is. Right. He doesn't have this huge evolutionary arc. Where well, some... I think part of that's because he uh, died of an obituate overdose. So. Well, yeah, obviously. I mean. <laughs> Arbituate, sorry, yeah. I said. We were, we were talking about <laughs> early to mid-career, not the end portion. <laughs> well, it, it, it wasn't, wasn't very, that old. It wasn't so. that long, I know. I, it's scaled down, Ian. I understand, you nitpicky, or nitpicky bitch. <laughs> and so... Jimi Hendrix would end up doing some recordings with Little Richard, but none of these songs yielded any major hits, and I kind of prefer his early stuff, so I will find some songs that include 
on our yeah, the one where he's we'll we'll include some ones where he's present on it, but honestly, they're nothing compared to those first few years. No, nah, I mean he really hit some magic with those. And so by the mid nineteen seventies, Little Richard's lifestyle began to take its toll. Richard would go on to tell Rolling Stone, I was getting deeper and deeper into drugs. All I wanted to do was have sex with beautiful women and get high. I spent thousands of dollars getting high. <laughs> oh, little Richard. Oh, I, wait. So it is the, well, it's, it's now like past the mid 60s now. So that's oh, like, yeah. that is starting to be into the, I'm going to do a bunch of like, you know, whatever it may be. Like, uh, <laughs> what are the pills? Quaaludes? Quaaludes. Yeah, it's, it's ludes. A, yeah, we're doing some ludes, man. <laughs> so you, you get, you get all fucked up on ludes, then you hang out with the beautiful ladies. I mean, doesn't seem so bad to me. Well, I mean, because of all this, though, he'd miss uh, engagements, you know, perform poorly. The the underlying rock and roll bad downside. Yeah. And, you know, once again, you know, struggle with his sexuality. And so he turned back to the church and became an evangelist preacher and Bible salesman. Wow. Bible salesman. Yeah, supposedly. Can you imagine him coming to your door That's going, what hey, I was you want to buy a Bible? That's what I was thinking. Like, he's world famous. He knocks on people's doors like, hey, you want to convert to G- Are you little Richard? Yeah, <laughs> you yes, You want to buy a Bible? Yeah. <laughs> Will you come in and play guitar for me? No, yeah, I'll, I'll convert to Jesus if you come jam with me or whatever. Like, <laughs> see, this is the stuff I would do, and then he'd be mad because I wouldn't actually convert. And so by the mid-1980s, he was starting to get attention again. When a book released by Charles White released a biography, it was authorized by Little Richard, but it was called The Life and Times of Little Richard. And he was still alive for this? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. And in the book, Little Richard would explain his struggles with and repentance for substance abuse and homosexuality. Yeah. You know, his faith, you know, ran hard with him. Which is really fucked up because, yeah, I don't know. That's that's so much damage done to one little kid over like a probably like a few statements made over a very short amount of time that his whole life became like a a battle with who he actually was, you know. I think that happens with a lot of people too yeah. though. I mean, you know, his was a lot more famous, but yeah. I think a I lot think of people struggle happen. with what happened to them in their childhood. Yeah, well, I mean that is it is obviously a, a classic psychological thing. We're not getting down into psychology too deep here, but it is psychology one on one. Yeah. If your childhood was fucked up or even if it wasn't, it's still gonna affect you. Yeah. <laughs> Ta da the end. But Around the same time this book came out, the new Rock and Roll Hall of Fame honored Little Richard as one of its first inductees. Oh. Yeah, Wait, I mean, so it, while he's alive? Yeah. Woo! That does not ever happen. <laughs> Andy's going to get a fucking gravestone with his name on it. I'm calling it. No unmarked grave for Little Richard. Oh, no. He definitely doesn't have an unmarked grave. But before we get there... Let's keep talking about Little Richard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just aged him a lot because we're still we're still chilling late sixties right now, right? No, this is the mid eighties. Oh, we're okay. We're so we're up to the mid eighties. So, so what year is he born? Just so we can get an, an age right now, because we're at like his fifty year old era, right? He was born in nineteen thirty two. Yeah, so in nineteen eighty two, he would be fifty years old. So yeah. okay, I just wanted to make sure, like, I was getting the the proper mental image of like how old he is during this point of, or this time. And so by 1988, he would start performing again. 
a little bit more subdued manner. You know, he no longer decked himself out and mirror studded jackets, eyeliner, tie-dyed headbands. We were toddlers then. We could have been there. Knowing my parents, I know I wasn't there. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not like we, there's no chance that we were there. I'm just saying it would have been possible. I guess that's true. It could have been possible. <laughs> and he didn't have any trouble, you know, lining up shows. Yeah, well, like, of course not. He's little he Richard. W- yeah, he was synonymous by this point, you know. Yeah. I mean, we're nearly 100 years after his birth at this point right now. And uh, he's, his name is still so recognizable that most of you will already know who it is just by hearing it. And, of course, Little Richard would perform his classic songs, but he would also evangelize to people performing gospel material in the same rock and roll style. He would testify his faith both on and off stage. Well, I mean, honestly, like, he's not the first nor the only nor the probably last person to do like you know faith oriented things as rock and roll because like i was saying earlier there's obviously christian rock as a genre but i mean shit they even got christian punk now yeah but uh, no but in in reality think of how many non-christian people still do like these heavy christian songs like i can't even think of how many folk guys and like you know punk guys and all that have done or have done songs that you know like jesus christ you know the 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 like jesus lamenting songs and they're not even religiously oriented they've just they're great songs well and this is the era to really do it too because rock and roll has been accepted and now he can go and preach and still play rock and roll yeah well i mean no matter what once something becomes popular enough eventually everybody has to be like okay we're cool with this now because it's so accepted so we're just going to use this to our advantage now and so into the 90s and even the 21st century, Little Richard, basically more popular than ever. He'd do guest spots on television, music videos, commercials, movies, and even as a recording artist. He would record movie soundtracks to Twins, Casper the Friendly Ghost, Why Do Fools Fall in Love. No, I remember the Casper the Friendly Ghost one. That's like when I was a kid, kid. Oh, yeah, I remember when Hell that yeah. came out. <laughs> In 1994, he was featured on an episode of Full House titled too little richard too late (laughs) (laughs) shit usually i watch these episodes when we do like shit like you know people have been on episodes and shit but i didn't get that one he played himself in a 1999 film mystery alaska singing the star spangled banner and O canada before a pond hockey game between the local team and the new york rangers (laughs) (laughs) okay that's a it's a very weird combination but that's awesome (laughs) he would also record duets with john bon jovi hank williams jr living color elton john tanya tucker Solomon Burke, and in 2006, he would even record with Jerry Lee Lewis, which they covered the Little Richard-influenced Beatles song, I Saw Her Standing There. That's fucking awesome. Like, that's pretty recent, 2006. Yeah. And the first decade of the new millennium, he would just constantly tour, performing all through the United States and Europe. Until about 2009, a sciatic nerve pain in his left leg and then a replacement of the hip in his left leg, and he would end up having to perform in a wheelchair for a while. Well, he's like, what, 70 at that point? He's pretty old. Like, geez, guy, that's 70 plus, the nearing 80s era. 
Honestly, I think the guy just liked to perform. I think it was all his because he didn't need money at this point. Clearly, yeah. Well, I mean, it's what he's been doing all his life. When you when you kind of do one thing all your life, you you have to continue doing it. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And honestly, there's something very addictive about playing live, and the oh, fact yeah. that he can get and the fact that he can play make a ton of money just by playing live. You know, and for older people, that probably is like a good way to like keep i don't know a point to your life like you know what i mean like a, a lot of older people especially when they get to the very very 70s and 80s late portion of their life that's the big struggle is struggling with a purpose you know well and apparently he could still put on a show well, like yeah i bet he did to quote rolling stone the last time they said he was still full of fire still a master showman his voice still loaded with deep gospel and raunchy power yeah he is an honest badass, like a really fucking badass dude. He's the true rock and roller man. He freaked out parents in the fifties just by being black and gay. Yeah, no, and exactly. he didn't give a fuck, dude. That is that is a good point. Like he never really gave a shit about that, and I don't know, such a such a cutting edge sort of you know. Regardless, like your sexual mentality doesn't always you know equate to personality traits, but when it's so faux pas and you have to you know. St- trudge through not only a racial element but then a but then a bigot, sexuality, yeah, a sexuality especially bigot, before you know. you know all the hippies came along was like everything's cool Wee! yeah exactly that's that's impressive i don't know regardless and even though he would continue to sing in his 80s he would stop performing live his last concert was on august 25th 2014 and oh god i'm gonna screw this up so bad oh let's do it murfreesboro Oh, wait, no, try that again. Murfreesboro, Tennessee. <laughs> M-U-R-F-R-E-E-S-B-O-R-O. Oh, yeah, I'm not even going to try. If you're from Tennessee, hit us up, because yeah. I don't know what Mur- the hell. Murfreesboro. <laughs> yeah. And on May 9th, 2020, Little Richard would die at the age of 87 in his home in Tullahoma, Tennessee, from a cause related to bone cancer after two months of battling it. His brother, sister, and son were all with him at the time of his death. Yeah, I mean, that was not that long ago. No, that's why I wanted to end with him this season, because when we were planning this season, he died. Yeah, exactly. It was it was when we were in the planning phases of this spe- season specifically that we got the, the information that he passed. So it was kind of that reason that put us on here, but... He deserves every bit of it, regardless of the the timeliness of his death, because honestly, it has nothing to do with that. He's just such a fucking badass. And just another reason for 2020 to suck balls. Yeah. Well, I mean, don't be mad when or don't be sad when someone dies in their 90s. You know what I mean? If you die 87, your... he I think he could have made it. Yeah. OK, well, 87 even. You know what I mean? Like that's a that's a long, thorough life. Yeah. And to be fair, my grandma died from bone cancer and. It's probably it, very uncomfortable. It's not exactly a fun thing. It was not fun to watch her go through it, yeah, honestly. No, exactly. And I'm sure it's even less fun to actually go through it. So, you know, regardless of how it goes, sometimes that sort of situation can be a mercy if you're not, or if you're, you know, extremely uncomfortable. And he would be buried in Oakwood Memorial Garden Cemetery in Huntsville, Alabama. Wait, in a marked grave, a very nicely marked grave. Oh, yeah, you can find that grave oh, today. Oh, it's beautiful. Of course you can find it today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in graves are 
generally they mostly They tend to permanent. last a little while, yeah, not a couple months. <laughs> <laughs> At least for our time scale, they're permanent. <laughs> well, I, I assume since we're talking about gravestones and uh, there's you know no secret special ending here that we're going to be sliding right into our last thoughts here, yeah? Yep. You know what? When we get to last thoughts, so often I have to be like, well, this is where I get on my soapbox and I shake my outrage stick at you and tell you all the things that I don't like. But (laughs) I can't bring myself to do that right now, honestly, based on just how amazing Little Richard was and the conflict that he went through. So you, right. You know you know what I mean? I'm just I'm going to try and avoid any, you know, heavily implicated or implicative, you know, dialogue and just I'm going to lay it out nice and simple. You don't have to judge other people for anything and you don't have to apply your beliefs to other people. Little Richard spent a lot of his life being tortured by something that somebody said to him when he was young. Well, he was tortured by the duality of how he thought he was supposed to live, really. Exactly. But it was so implied, you know, it, it was so heavily implied by his childhood. If that was something someone said to him as an adult, he could have rationalized that away. Well, and you notice, like, one of the first things I said in this podcast was his mom sent him to church to basically fix his leg and fix his personality, which, you know, a.k.a., oh, he doesn't act like a normal boy. Yeah, and I, I'm going to straight up tell everybody... Nobody's normal. You, somebody who's a quote-unquote normal boy is probably just as abnormal or even more so than any other person. Well, everybody struggles with something, too. Yeah, it's it's everything. Every person has attributes, positive or negative, and honestly, you should always accentuate no matter what the attributes you have. Even a negative attribute can play positively in your life, but that's if the people who are influential in your life don't spin it in proper way. Yeah, but do you think there's something to it where he took that negative energy and spun it into something as amazing as his songs and performances? Absolutely, and there there is an argument to be made that the negativity in the early life also played into the spirit of the positivity of what we received. But do we know that for sure? Are we? No. You know, is that is is that as much? That's I more mean, of a stretch than the other direction. If I'm you know thinking about it, I mean, it comes back to that old saying where all art is struggle. Yeah, and it, I, I completely agree with that. I don't know. I just don't think that uh, stifling somebody who's creative in their early life is ever useful, and typically all it ends up doing is playing against their strengths. We could add a lot more years of, you know, and I'm not saying that, I'm not taking little Richard, you know, autonomous, or like autonomous nature out of this. He made the decisions to do what he did, but obviously we may have gotten a whole bunch more of Little Richard's rock and roll through, you know, a couple of decades. Yeah, because it only lasted two years where where his mega hits happened. Yeah, we could have, I mean, Little Richard could have been, when we say king of rock and roll, we might not say King of Elvis is the king of rock and roll today. We might say Little Richard is the king of rock and roll if we got a full career out of him. If a stigma that's based on something that may be natural or maybe not. You know, I'm not going to argue about the the origins of sexuality or anything so deep like that because we're in a fucking music podcast. But if you're trying to take over somebody's life or trying to, you know, imply what somebody else should do in something that is obviously not, like, I, I guarantee in a young age he didn't choose to be effeminate. This isn't something that at five years old he was like, I'm going to make the stand and I'm going to be ladylike. Like, <laughs> no, dude, that's fucking natural. When it when a child of five years old acts whatever way they are, it's natural. Well, there actually is a science behind that, too, where 
when they're in the womb, their mother tends to get more estrogen into the baby than a normal boy. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I, know if I, normal boys. <laughs> I think neither of us are even close to qualified enough about talking about that particular nature. I mean, I, I personally think that that sounds like uh, like it could be possibly true or it could be some damaging pseudoscience and I'm not qualified in either way to actually like qualify that. So, well, I actually heard this from my aunt who's an ER nurse. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, (laughs) I'm not saying you're wrong or anything. I just, I hesitate to back any sort of statement like that because like we've qualified so many like simple chemicals into like manliness and lady, like we, you know, estrogen versus, you know, well, we, tend to qualify certain personality traits into manliness and yeah. womanliness. Yeah, and I don't know. I'm just I don't I this is not the not the focus of what I was trying to get into by any But means. it is kind of a big focus on his life like if you think about it because It is. And it, it it's a that's what I'm saying. Is you know, he was different regardless of what it was that made him different. And unfortunately, he was different in multiple ways and you know it, or fortunately, I mean, yeah, and I mean, fortunately, in the same way, I guess. Unfortunately, it was the bat is a bad word. Un- because unfortunate for him, but fortunate for us because I think it helped us propel us into you know more evolution into our knowledge of people and to be more accepting. You know, unfortunately, he had to go through a bunch of shit, especially early on in childhood. But you know, at the same time, he was able to use that and propel it into really you know helping it be more acceptable today. Yeah, so there. I guess there really is that that double edge. Like the the more stress it, that you do put on, it almost works. But someone I, had to be the martyr, right? Yeah, no, exactly. I guess, I guess that is that is highly true, and I it it hurts my soul to even think about it that way. But I guess it is is fairly true enough. But the whole point of my last thoughts is just going to be this: don't stifle people. Like regardless, like just be accepting of people for what they are. Just because you don't understand doesn't make it wrong. Thank you, and I think I'm going to let Ian talk now. Oh, it's my turn, huh? So I'm going to go a different direction with my last thoughts and really just praise what songs he did come out with because, honestly, without him, we wouldn't have Elvis, Buddy Holly, Carl Perkins, you know. Or at least not the exact versions we have. No, exactly. What makes rock and roll today would be different if we didn't have him. And... You know, we wouldn't have Jimi Hendrix, who literally changed the way guitar is played, electric guitar. Like, Yeah, it's not very often that we can actually say stuff like that. Without this guy, we wouldn't have this guy. But in this particular case... Yeah, like, Jimi Hendrix, Jimi Hendrix used him as a stepping stone. Yeah, and so, you know, Jimi may have still become famous at some point, but we would not have got the same timeline without, without Little Richard ascending him, essentially. Or he dies in obscurity somewhere, you know. I mean, yeah, a, who couple, knows? a couple more years with that drug habit, you know. He may have never made it famous and just made it to the gutter. Or maybe he makes it big at thirty and not in his early twenties. Yeah, and then maybe I mean, he lives knows? a long time. You know, it's it's one of those one of those timeline things yeah, where it, there's no butterfly way to effect. Know. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, without him, rock and roll would not be what it is today. And being the fact that I've played some form of rock and roll my entire life, like, I just got to say thanks, dude. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, this is why I wanted to do this episode at the end of this season because he did die this year. And, you know, maybe if there's some young person listening to this who's never heard of Little Richard, fucking check him out because you have basically from 55 on 
all of popular music that you like to thank him. Yeah, and I mean, if you're if you're living one of those lives that we we're talking about, where you know somebody's impeding your your existence at a young age, maybe there's some inspiration to be found there. And you know, at least the, you you know that you aren't alone, and you know there's a highly successful route out of every shitty situation. So, oh yeah, you know, it's the funny part is where you start is nothing, literally zero. It's where you go from there. Well, as always, uh, if you like social media things, find us on so- social media places. If you like stars, give us a whole bunch of stars on other places. And if you like music, check out our Spotify. Yeah, dude, check out that dude. Check out. Yeah, dude, check and out the dude. Check out the songs. Songs. And our songs <laughs> are actually in a different place than where our podcast list to. Just look for our profile. Yeah, yeah, we're we're updating our uh, our descriptions to make sure that there's links for everybody so they can find everything. But uh, if, if uh, we know that there's been some previous problems finding that, and we apologize, so we're gonna make it work. We're new at this, so you know, forgive us, please. Oh yeah, and uh, as as we spoke of last episode a little bit, uh, there's kind of new formats coming. So next season is going to be a literal anarchy shit show, and then the season after that is gonna be very very beautiful and uh, well put together. Thank you all for uh, spending your evening with us and listening about Little Richard and yet another successful season of Dude Check Out This Song. Have a good night. Have a good night.